Hello and welcome to this At Any Rate podcast. I am Arindam Sandelia from JP Morgan's Global FX Strategy team. I mean, if you are doing this podcast uh, maybe a little more than a week ago uh, with uh, you know, rates and FX markets contemplating a 50 BP rate hike from the Fed at next week's FOMC, I think this would have uh, looked and sounded a, a lot different. But uh, as the commercials say, life comes at you fast. And uh, fast forward to today, markets are grappling with uh, bankruptcies in the US banking sector. There's trouble in European banks. Um, they're thinking about potential uh, systemic contagiousness of all of this. Uh, there's an alphabet soup of uh, rescue packages that have come to have begun to emerge out of uh, central banks. Uh, that's a very uncomfortable uh, flashback of the GFC and the European debt crisis for many of us who have lived through those events. And amid all of this, our own asset class FX is trading, well, partially in ways that we understand and in some ways maybe not so. And in terms of market moving events, we also had a fairly packed calendar, a much anticipated ECB this week. There's an FOMC next week to look forward to. So a lot to unpack. And to do this, I'm joined by my colleagues, James Nelligan and Patrick Locke. Uh, James, Pat, uh, welcome to this podcast. So, so James, uh, before we dive into currency specifics, uh, maybe let's talk broader banking sector stress a little bit that's animating markets right now. You've done some work on this at a top-down macro level for uh, DMs. And I'm interested in your take uh, on both what's happening in the US and Europe. And since everybody is thinking about contagion risks, where do you think uh, there are stress points globally? Sure. Thanks, Arendam. Uh, so in the US, I uh, would say that the issue started more with, with an asset valuation and hedging problem for, for specific entities. And that's that that's moved on from, and the focus is now more on how much of the Fed's BTFP facility will end up being used, um, and how much of how much that could offset uh, QT on the Fed's balance sheet at times when where inflation expectations are, are still relatively high. Um, in Europe, the problems are more about the ability of firms to attract new investors and and acquirers of of certain parts of businesses in a world where. Uh, there's just higher higher uncertainty within the banking sector and lending in, in general. Some of the smaller banks, though, in Europe, are, are, there's somewhat less transparency as many of them aren't listed. Um, but overall, I'd say that more of the medium term issues are around credit provision to the real economy. Um, you know, if, if bank behavior were, were to change off the back of this, then, you know, credit creation and, and the, the share of credit creation from some of the smaller and regional banks is is definitely in focus um, as a growth risk uh, down the line beyond the beyond the short term drivers. Um, so, like you say, we just we just did a kind of a G10 overview of some of the uh, more common important metrics um, from from a banking sector perspective. So, we looked at uh, banking assets as a, as a share of GDP um, since 2008, and and uh, from a stock perspective as well. Um, we looked at credit growth as well. Um, over recent years, and as well as uh, the tier one capital ratio uh, to risk rates, weighted asset ratios um, across G10. So, I mean, the, the general point I'd make is that um, some of the smaller open economies tend tend to show up as uh, less favourable um, on a, on a on a re relatively consistent basis across across these met metrics, um, and it just plays to the point we've been making about that we are we are late cycle rates have gone up and it, you know it's impossible to say exactly where that's going to manifest itself um but what we can say is the conditions have been in place and are in place for 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 potentially some some trigger points to to occur down the line 
um, you know, in potential other sectors like housing, auto loans, CMBS. So uh, that's something that, that we're on the, the lookout for. I'd say um, within the smaller open economies, um, Sweden and Norway, while, you know, they are vulnerable on the, on the housing sector side, they, they do show up as, as slightly more favorable in terms of tier one capital ratio, um, although credit growth is, has been um, obviously quite, uh, you know, accelerated meaningfully in those economies. And I'd, I'd just mentioned Canada as well um, as showing a slightly less favorable on um, in terms of banking, asset, banking assets having been levered up since 2008 and uh, credit growth being, being uh, you know, fairly significant there as well. Uh, so turning to the FX reaction over the past week, uh, just in response to, the, to this increase in, in credit risks, um, how, do you th how do you see things having played out, Arindam? Um, do you think it's, it's more or less the, the usual risk off you'd expect to see in FX or, or are there any surprises there? You know, more or less the usual risk of uh, you'd expect, James. I think the link between credit spreads and FX are very similar to most cyclical studies on currencies since uh, spread themselves are so cyclical. So it'll surprise absolutely nobody to know that uh, weaker credit is associated with a higher dollar, uh, whether U.S. yields rise or not, actually, and uh, and obviously more when U.S. rate support comes through in addition to uh, to this risk off. Um, the other also very intuitive observation is that haven currencies tend to appreciate in times of credit stress, while high beta currencies such as Aussie, Kiwi, emerging market currencies, etc., all fall. And that, again, is a very familiar axis of uh, differentiation in FX when it comes to late cycle environments. So that's almost exactly what unfolded last week. Uh, you know, carry trade favorites like uh, Mexico and, and Huff got, uh, got pummeled. The yen had a good week. Uh, the dollar was up as well. Uh, the weekend quibble, I guess, over the magnitude of its rally. But on the whole, uh, you know, I'm looking at this shift away from duration or interest rate risks towards credit risks and the typical FX reaction that has followed as, as a hallmark of this late cycle environment, as you said. And my guess is that we are either in one or we are very close to entering a, a sort of a, a proper uh, end of cycle trading environment. So, so Pat, let's let's bring you into the conversation here uh, and getting into the weeds of of currencies a little bit. You know, if credit stress is broadly constructive for the dollar, uh, not so good for high beta effects, etc. You know, have you seen any uh, technical moves recently in FX markets that have caught your eye? Anything particularly misbehaved vis-a-vis -vis that uh, standard template? Yeah, thanks, Arindam. Um So, just to c contextualize here a little bit, I mean, um, if you look at kind of the net ranges in G10 over the last week, not actually that extreme. Um, but that compares obviously to the rates moves, which on certain metrics range from anywhere from you know eight to twelve sigma moves. And obviously, from a fund manager perspective, that's exceptionally challenging. Uh, risk management has obviously been paramount. And so I think there are there is evidence that as a consequence of that, there's been a lot of you know deleveraging and things like that that have spilled over into the FX space. So in in environments like this, you know, some of these technical moves are liable to trump fundamentals in my view, and you can see kind of some of our preferred dollar models have broken down, um, presumably because, you know, there's bigger kind of risk management and deleveraging forces at work here. Um, you know, that being said, um, I do think there are, um, you know, some pockets of value to be had. You know, one example we look at is just, you know, looking at the, the spot performance relative to uh, currencies, FX implied yield, and it's highly negative, negatively uh, negatively inverted, um, basically saying that, you know, we've had a pretty big unwind of, um, you know, carry trades, which have been a popular position for, you know, the better part of the last call it 12 to 18 months. 
Um, but even there, you can, you know, if you look closely, you can see some of these currencies are perhaps um, overshooting or undershooting what, you know, the beta is otherwise suggesting across the board. And a couple that stand out to me um, are New Zealand uh, and Sweden, perhaps screening a bit rich to the overall, uh, you know, extent of the carry deleveraging. Um, and Norway, um, perhaps showing a bit of excess weakness uh, relative to the rest of these moves. Um, not inclined, I don't think, to fade Norway. Um, we have a pretty bearish, you know, fundamental view of that currency generally. Uh, but we are we are bearish on, on Kiwi and Sweden, um, so that might you know create for some entry some interesting entry levels. Um, and consistent with that, kind of you know taking a bigger picture look here, um, you know to the extent that we are becoming more bearish, more defensive on a medium term basis as, as a result of of the shocks that we've seen over the last week. You know New Zealand's the New Zealand dollar's performance over the last. Uh, you know, call it one to two quarters has been, you know, quite outstanding within the G10 space. Uh, within the high beta block, it's had the largest rebound off of its troughs from the fourth quarter. Um, but you juxtapose that against what is still a pretty, pretty bearish domestic story. Um, and some pretty weak GDP numbers. It's got the worst current account balance in G10. Um, obviously, we've been ex expecting rates there to bite via the mortgage channel for some time. Um, if you couple that with kind of New Zealand's historic underperformance in recessions, that plus these kind of rebounds, both tactically this week, a little bit more medium term since the fourth quarter, seems to me like New Zealand offers some value if you're trying to, you know, add to your to your bearish hedges um, by selling that. So I think that's that's one that stood out to me. Um, something else that that kind of stood out when looking at um, some of these rebounds since the fourth quarter. Um, the currencies with the weakest rebound over that period are actually Norway and Canada. Uh, we've been pretty resolutely bearish on both um, over the course of that period, but you know it's notable obviously because they are the two G10 uh, petro FX currencies um, and obviously um, oils come under pressure amidst all these uh, you know banking issues. Um, so despite perhaps not the best entry levels on those metrics, I still think you know there's merit there. Um, as James said, you know, um, there's reasons to be concerned generally about um, Canada's overall leverage and, you know, perhaps the, the banking metrics spill into that a little bit. But when you add the, the oil overlay as well, I think, you know, that adds a nice kicker to uh, what could be a generally defensive portfolio here. Got it. So, yeah, so bearish Norway, Canada. Uh, New Zealand, all of that sort of fits the historical template. But the one that uh, I'm most curious about, James, is, is a Swiss franc, uh, because uh, you know, in this sort of environment, in this European FX space that that you are trafficking in, uh, Swiss franc would have been one of the surefire winners, right? And yet uh, the picture there is a little murky, I guess, uh, because uh, of these stories around troubles in the Swiss banking sector. How do you see this playing out for the franc? Sure, yeah. So like you say, Swiss has been kind of trapped over the last uh, week or so caught between you know some of the bullish safe haven flows after the US banking sector stresses became apparent um, and then that turned quite quickly um, as the concern uh, moved over to Europe um, like you say with some of the some of the domestic Swiss um, financial sector stresses um, you know becoming uh, more clear there um, and it is interesting. I mean, you know, from a historical perspective, 
you know, we, we kind of we have seen this this happen before. So you know, you think back to September, October last year, um, when you had uh, CDS spreads widening um, on some of the key uh, European bank names. Um, you know that there were you know happened to be domiciled in Switzerland. Then um, Swiss franc um, did prioritize that in terms of you know weakness in the currency as those CDS spreads were widening. Um, and we saw we saw that you know the same play out this week. Um, you know you have seen Swiss weakness as as the as the um, the concerns have been you know around issues you know specific to to Switzerland itself. Um, so you know that the, the typical safe haven properties of Swiss, you know, when you when you're thinking about global growth downgrades, the impact of of uh, you know in, in um, <clears throat> less credit creation on on growth down the line, um, you know, all else equal, that that would leave you more more bullish Swiss. But um, you know, until these um, idiosyncratic uh, Swiss issues are cleared up, um, you know, you, you kind of have the currency trapped between those two things. So on Wednesday we saw um you know a bit of a change and a bit of relief in that in that story um you know as as the smb um announced that they were in discussions to to try and ease some of the some of the um some of the tensions and some of the weakness in in the the domestic financial picture um and there was a 50 billion swiss franc tap of the uh covered loan and liquidity facility um in switzerland which um which seemed to to relieve um quite a bit of the pressure um and and you know the the idea is the thinking for us if if you know if that can if that can take systemic risks and left tail events um for the domestic financial se sector off off the table then um you know the the classic uh, safe haven properties of swiss should should start to come um back into play um and that's ahead of an S&B meeting next week where you know uh, at the market at one stage was was pricing more than 50 basis points a, a couple of weeks ago but um, I think you know the, the upper bound on what the SMB is going to deliver now is is uh, is really just to match what the ECB did in in fifty basis points, and if anything, the risks um, are to the downside on that. Um, so on the day, you know, if if there is some dovish divergence between uh, the SMB and the ECB, then you know there might be some some tactical Swiss selling on the back of that. But uh, more medium term, we would think that you know if these um, you know, domestic Swiss financial issues can can be cleared up, then um, then the safe, the classic reaction function to safe haven um, flows will will come back for Swiss. Piggybacking off this idea of you know safe haven performance, Arindam, are you a little bit surprised about the dollar's overall net performance this week? Yeah, I mean we've had a, a fair few questions on this: why the dollar's not gone up more than uh, what people might have expected, given the 100 BP plus widening in high yield credit spreads. I think it's relatively straightforward to explain. Uh, you know, the market probably got uh, long of dollars at least versus G10 this year because dollars want to be higher carry currencies within that complex. Uh, the market probably also bought dollars on a fairly short-term basis after Chair Powell's comments around the possibility of 50 basis points at the March FOMC. And uh, you know, once you got uh, credit risk spiking, then as happens with all deleveraging, some of those dollars probably came in for sale. Uh, but I think the simplest explanation is just uh, look at a chart of uh, two-year Treasury yields. Uh, you had a stunning collapse in, in yields in a multi-sigma event, uh, um, and the dollar simply could not ignore uh, a, a rate differential support falling off a cliff on that scale. 
Um, now, admittedly, a lot of technical factors were were likely at play. Uh, you're probably not going to get a rate move that large, uh, given that uh, you know our Treasury client survey from the U.S. fixed income team shows that a lot a lot of the duration shorts going into this week have been cleared up. Uh, so I'm guessing that if you get a repeat of the credit shock we've had over the past week, the dollar reaction will be probably uh, you know slightly different, a little more traditional sort of bullish dollar risk off is, is what might come our way. All right. Uh, thanks, James. Uh, with that, we come to the end of this podcast. Thanks very much for listening in. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on March 17, 2023.